You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science The Virginia Department of Health reminds you to get your HPV and meningitis vaccines. Protect yourself and your loved ones. To learn more, visit vahealthy.org. That's V-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-Y dot org. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are going to tackle a topic that we get asked about all the time, and that is clean beauty. And we've brought on a very special guest who's an expert on this topic, um, who can help us unpack this term, uh, clean beauty. So more on that in just a second. Before we do that, let's recap last week's episode on love and relationships, or as we like to to say, the science of love. Um, So we talked about different categories of romantic love and the chemistry and brain signaling involved in those categories. We spent some time breaking down some partner demographics and statistics and the impact of being in a relationship relationship on our physical and mental and emotional health. It was a fun, lighthearted episode, pun intended, and we hope you'll give it a listen if you haven't already. Andrea, would you like to introduce today's guest? Yes, I'm super excited to have the honor to introduce and to bring on Dr. Ranella Hirsch. Dr. Hirsch is a board-certified dermatologist and an expert in the fields of cosmetic and laser dermatology. She is presently at work on several clinical trials for novel skincare products to improve the condition and appearance of aging skin, and her innovative research continues to develop and foster new cosmetic dermatology technologies and techniques. Dr. Hirsch is also the author of several articles and book chapters on the subject of injectable neurotoxins and other soft tissue fillers. McGraw-Hill released her most recent textbook, Aesthetic Regional Rejuvenation. She is also the past president of the American Society of Cosmetic Dermatology and Aesthetic Surgery and is recognized as the youngest person to hold elected leadership of a major dermatology society. She is also the co-founder of the innovative skincare brand Atola, a 2021 Allure Beauty Breakthrough winner, which was acquired in 2021 by Function of Beauty. She has many, many, many more accolades, which we will include on our show notes, and she is always on social media debunking and dispelling myths and misconceptions, so you can follow her at MD. Geez, Dr. Hirsch, when do you find time to sleep? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but my mom really loved that intro, guys. I think she may have written it, and props to you. I'll be I'll be handling that to her the next time I go home for the holidays. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, this really is such a hot topic. I feel like everywhere I turn, I, I see this term clean beauty. So let's talk about what clean beauty is and isn't. Um, but before we do that, we should probably talk about this 
industry, because it's important to remember that this is an industry much like other industries that Andrea and I have discussed on here, right? The organic food industry, the non-GMO industry, clean beauty is an industry. So the clean beauty market is estimated to reach $22 billion by 2024, according to recent research. Um, And we know that brands that sit between drugstore and luxury prices are performing best. If you do a search on Instagram, the hashtag clean beauty has over 4 million posts and people are really obsessed with this concept. So Renella, if I could call you Renella, can we take a, a second to discuss what, what does this mean? What does clean beauty mean? I mean, I, I sure wish you could tell me um, because the, the, the fundamental challenge is that it actually has no standard definition of any sort. It is defined by who wishes to define it. And I think you pegged maybe the $64,000 point of all of it. It's a business. So ultimately, it's a term that's being defined by, for the most part, profit-making entities who are trying to sell you something. And it's really important, I think, to go into it with exactly that understanding. Unregulated term being used to sell you something. So, Ronella, you know, for, for our listeners, I mean, basically you're saying that every single individual company that is selling a product being advertised as clean beauty have essentially unlimited leeway to you know, define what that term means? Well, I mean, I think that if we go back historically a little bit, you know, it it, it wasn't all like all evil all the time, right? Like I think it started out in kind of a, a, there was a a, a there at at goal first, this notion that we would try to kind of do things that were, you know, healthy, do things that were natural, do things that have lots of sort of benign words that sort of imply something positive, but are very hard to pin down as to exactly what they are. And especially at the very early part of things, what often happens, and certainly what I experience when I'm asked, say, in clinical practice by someone, what is clean beauty or what can I find that's clean or natural? For a lot of people, that's based in things that are very legitimate. For example, there are people who want skincare products that are vegan. A lot of times that, appropriately or not, gets grouped into this whole category. Many people, I think all of us included, feel very strongly about the testing of cosmetics on animals. That's very important to a lot of people. The problem is all of that has now been pushed into this vat of really a term and a set of terms that is used as wanted by the person using it. And why that becomes challenging is the brands define the term differently. The retailers define the term differently. The individual consumer defines the term differently. Ironically enough, you will find that one brand's definition of clean might not make Another brand's definition of clean might not make this retailer's definition of clean. And when you have these very different sets of kind of categorizations that are made without a uniting standard, it's very difficult to, you know, as scientists, test what it is, figure out what it is. It's just very hard in general to do science with a goalpost that isn't there. Right. Absolutely. And 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 it makes it makes it challenging for the consumers, right? Because they, as you mentioned, have different perceptions of what this term means. And so when they're going to the store to try and figure out what's best for their skin, what's best for their health, there's 
there's no science-backed guidance behind any of that. And so they think they may think they're buying one thing, and, and in reality, it, it doesn't fit any of those criteria they have this preconceived notion about. You bring up two great points. I mean, the first is that I think there's an intention to that. I mean, I think ultimately, if we agree that a lot of these terms are really just marketing terms, because ultimately that's what it's becoming. It's becoming kind of a, a, a race to the finish God knows what the finish is, but of, of who can be, you know, cleaner than the next. I'm cleaner than this one. I'm cleaner than that one. Well, right. we're the cleanest of all. So there's that. But there's also the very fundamental element that it's marketing, that you're looking in a market that's exceptionally crowded. I mean, some of the numbers you were talking about, that's just a piece of a much larger puzzle. I mean, the, 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 the world of skincare is, is, magnificently huge as a business. And so it's very hard to distinguish yourself as an entity. And so if you can create a problem that uniquely or so to speak uniquely that you are then offering a solution for, if suddenly other things are dirty, I am now making air quotes with my fingers that a podcast is not doing justice to, but if you can create some sort of demon that then you are fixing, well, that's marketing 101. You know, if you can scare someone, that is a customer for a long time. It's not coincidental that so often the the entry points to clean are at points in life where people are more vulnerable. Pregnancy is a huge one, you know, because you know, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty educated, you know, lady pregnant and you know, this stuff gets you. It, it's, it's just, it's constantly being thrown at you. It really is something where it's just overwhelming. And so it's sort of like, well, why not, you know, just avoid everything and air and, you know, and it's just this one thing after the next. And I think you also mentioned, and I thought it was just so right on, this is really part of a much bigger thing, right? Like we're talking about skincare because that's my field, but this whole notion of wellness, by the way, air quotes again, um, this whole idea of just this industry based on, I mean, good God, the bulk of your podcast is just one thing after another in this bizarrely undefined space that is wellness. You know, this idea of eating organic, this idea of, you know, bathing organic, smelling organic, this sort. And I mean, and, and really it, it's very much something that's in parallel, we, we see over and over again that so much of what we hear about, you know, diet and these kinds of things and claims and do this or do that. There are so many parallels to skincare. It just keeps happening where somebody comes along, gets everyone all riled up about some problem, but then don't be afraid. They have link in bio, the book or the diet or the, you know, delivery box right. to manage this new crisis on your safety. So thank God they're here. You know, it's just this overwhelming sense. And it's just comical. I mean, because if you go down this pathway, you're accepting certain fundamentals that just aren't possible. The idea of toxicity, that is a word that aside from driving me absolutely crazy and is giving me, I want to be clear, an actual medical disease, an actual ulcer. Every time someone says toxic in relation to skincare, oh, there gosh. is a GI doctor ringing a bell like Clarence <sighs> in the movie because Dr. Hirsch is getting a worse and worse ulcer every time because there is no such thing as toxic. Yes. This idea that somehow 
you know, either for amusement or profit or God only knows what, that people are secretly poisoning you. I don't know any other way Mm -hmm. to explain it, that it is not a good idea as a practical matter of business to kill your customers. That is just, I mean, I want to admit, I work in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but I do not have an MBA from Harvard Business School. And yet even I, in my limited, you know, closeness to the business school have learned that much that killing your customers, I guess, unless you're a funeral home. Okay. Exception. There is an industry by which I guess you would like to have that going. But for most industries, you need people to keep buying your stuff. So killing them is a very bad idea. Sorry, I was going to say we just have to add comedian to your CV. Um, although what you're what you're saying is it, you're, you're you're so spot on, and clearly you're so passionate about this. And you're right. I mean, this is all wrapped up. I'm using air quotes now oh, in this wellness huh? industry. And yes. also, Andrea and I are always talking about chemophobia, right? And vilifying anything that's a chemical when, as we say, everything is a chemical, right? So, or as I like to, the Renella is in my office gets sick of me saying. You, Andrea, Jess, and I are all just human-shaped batches of chemical. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that because you know one of these you know phrases that we see thrown around on products being marketed as clean beauty are, are saying they're they're marketed as chemical free, and and as we really just kind of hinted at, everything is chemicals, including the air we breathe, the water we drink, and you know, Ronell, I'm sure you can tell us a little bit more about some of the composition of these products, but a lot of them have have water as the base of them because you need something to dissolve products in. I mean, everything is ultimately a chemical. So, I mean, if you had a chemical-free product, I'm, I'm curious what they're charging you money for. <laughs> right. What's in it? It's, it wouldn't even be air because air is I, a chemical. I mean, as, as I understand it, again, you know, not really. But it, I think I think we're getting a little bit into philosophy. This is kind of like a little, you know, Aristotelian. Like, is, but it, it, at the end of the day, it just matter and it, chem, everything is chemical. Everything matter matter is is like how it's all defined. You know, you're starting with something. So this idea that um, I think you hit on a great term, chemophobia. It just it sounds so scary. And you know, this idea that like, oh, chemicals are bad, and this is bad, and all these terrible things that are being done. And I think, again, it really comes down to the fact that there are these general kind of things that are always talked about. Um, you know, natural is kind of given this free pass, this idea that if something is from nature, it's better. And of course, we know that that's, you know, stupid because, and I'm now quoting one of my very favorite people, Charlotte Palomino, nature has been trying to kill us from the get-go, like exactly, <laughs> arsenic, hemlock, botulism, you know, you pick the, the very best poisons we got, we didn't make. Are from nature. Exactly. Yep. And yep. just the whole idea of that, you know, it, it really does sound so, you know, natural is so much better and natural implies it's green. Another term that means nothing. Clean means nothing. You know, these are all these different things kind of suggesting this idea that, you know, anything is better if it just comes from nature. And we know from a practical standpoint, aside from the fact that it's just not true, certainly we know that things from nature, as we just said, aren't always safe. It is actually a really good thing that we have discovered many things to help nature along. I mean, yes, milk is great, 
pasteurized milk is even better. Way better. <laughs> and, and, you know, to, to that point, you know, we see people kind of backsliding to this raw milk phenomenon. Oh and now God, you're seeing yes. people getting food poisoning because you're not killing the harmful <laughs> I, microorganisms that I, are in nature. This is so funny you say that because I know we three are all very big fans. I know you had her on of the remarkable food science babe, Erin. Oh, yes. Wonderful mm-hmm. MythBuster that she is. Um, and just a tremendous, tremendous resource. And she had a post about someone was literally complaining. And if you don't follow her, you should, because she's unbelievable. Um, but there was someone complaining that bread just doesn't seem to mold anymore. And oh, I saw the that idea one. that this is somehow like a bad thing. So my comment, because I couldn't even help myself, is, you know, damn, you can't even get listeria from milk anymore. <laughs> Louis Pasteur bastard. You know, it was like, what, what, how, how have we now convinced ourselves that it's not an improvement? You know, disease is natural. Mm-hmm. Antibiotics. You know, all these things that we have moved forward with, it, it's not really all a negative, quite to the contrary. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but even the idea of like synthetic things, it, it's just this, this thing where we've just demonized these words and these concepts that don't deserve it. You know, we're regressing, as you said, you know, we've learned we're, we're moving backwards. We're undoing all of the progress we've made. I mean, I, they actually are telling, I mean, don't even, some of the other stuff you debunk, I mean, where people are, it just makes me crazy. But like, even coming back to toxic, right? Like, what's the number one rule about toxicology? The dose makes the poison. Thank you. I mean, exactly. And just even the concept of why that term has no meaning. You know, dose we talk about, but it's not really even just dose, right? Like the administration, how do you take it to compare something? Like if you, if you, you know, in these studies where you lavage rats all day long for, you know, six weeks is not immediately something you can extrapolate to humans putting it on 8% of their skin. You know, exactly. if something is fed to you, if something is given to you IV, it's, this is something we talk about constantly in dermatology and constantly, frankly, in the greater whole of medicine, because how you deliver something is vitally important. But also even going beyond that with dose Everything has the possibility. We know water can be toxic. You know, you can have alcohol. God knows alcohol can kill you. But does that mean you can't have a glass of champagne? I mean, there is just no, there is no sense attached to it when you make these general statements of like, this is toxic. Toxic exists in a bigger picture of the planet, you know? Yeah, and and I think, you know, that brings up, obviously, you know, we know everything is chemicals. We know that you can't say something is inherently non-toxic or toxic. There are all these, this nuance in there, but, you know, it's, it's ultimately you know, use of these marketing ploys to, as you mentioned in the beginning, elicit this emotional response, right? A person is going to be more inclined to purchase a product where they have the perception that it's better for them than another product. And, and unfortunately, a lot of this preys on, you know, the lack of scientific understanding, you know, that, that many people have. And so, you know, that brings up that other topic that that you really just quickly touched on. But, you know, we talk about how how 
you know, natural is not inherently better, right? We have a lot of natural things that are deadly at very low doses, meaning they are highly toxic at low doses through ingestion, through topical administration, regardless of the the mode of entry. And as a result, chemistry, organic chemistry, you know, science in general has actually been able to alter those substances to make them safer, um, whether it's, you know, reduce the toxicity of them or it's to alter them to make them more stable or it's to, you know, um, eliminate the chance of having an adverse reaction. And so, you know, maybe, Ronella, it's a great opportunity to kind of discuss this this concept of of natural versus synthetic in the world of, you know, beauty products. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I mean, what you've touched on so many good points. I mean, certainly this idea of natural as something that's just automatically safer. And, you know, it, it's a hard line, right? Because there are certainly natural ingredients that are great. Green tea is a great ingredient. You know, turmeric's a great ingredient. We, we're seeing them increasingly used in skincare for good reason. Nature you know, knows what she's doing. She's done some real good stuff. You know, I love her work. It's just the idea that it's an all or none, like it's some binary thing is fundamentally false and wrong. And as you point out, natural, not only does it allow for, you can make, you know, adjustments to something that if we know, for example, a product has a certain piece of it that is allergen, you know, that is likely to be an allergen that is likely to cause a reaction. And creating it in the lab, you can actually make those changes. You can actually amend that product so that you can use it much more safely for a broader audience of people. Similarly, and this is something I think that doesn't get a lot of attention either, you know, when you are creating something in a lab, there are standards that you meet in order to use those products. It's quality control. Anyone who has ever had, uh, you know, I, I learned about this extensively in, um, you, you mentioned I had a, you know, that we had a brand, you know, it, it just, you, you learn about this immensely in production about, you know, the standards and quality control to make sure every time you use an ingredient, it's the same, you know. When you talk about things coming from nature, there are a lot of variables in that. You know, is it growing on this part of the world or another part of the world? What was the weather? What was that particular forecast? What was it harvested with? Did they use these products to grow it or not? You know, nature is not also just homogenous. It itself has so many variables that I think you also need to account for that I don't think necessarily gets that same kind of play, you know? So I think this automatic notion that everything natural gets a free pass, it, it, it's not particularly meaningful for that reason. I think, you know, it loses a lot. And I love the the point you just made about quality control because I work with a biotech company as a full-time job and we work with a lot of cell and gene therapy research. And so we're doing, you know, good manufacturing and good lab practices. And so you're in a clean room all day. And, and there are so many checkpoints to ensure that Every single thing you're using in the lab has been verified, inspected, signed off on, doesn't have contaminating residue. I mean, there's so many different things, whereas, you know, the the natural world is not a bubble. It's not a vacuum. Anything that you're deriving from nature is interacting with all the other things in nature. So I think it's safe to say that, and I'm so sorry, Rinal, I was just going to say, I just want to recap what I'm, what I'm hearing, is that we're debunking this myth that natural is inherently better and that synthetic 
is automatically worse. Absolutely. I was going to mention, I mean, there's a, a, a journal article we refer to, came out maybe five, six, maybe six, seven years ago now. And it's really interesting because one of the single biggest things that we see in these natural products, in these clean products, is this move over to using things like essential oils, like using these products. And the amount of irritant dermatitis, the amount of irritation, it has skyrocketed because these ingredients are actually far more likely to cause problems. So we know that these things are just with so many more people causing problems, these botanical extracts. We're seeing allergy rates skyrocketing. We're seeing all kinds of rashes and different presentations in our personal clinics and our literature. And it's all just nuts because, again, essential oils are some of the most irritating things. So yeah. this idea that we're something substituting out for something, quote, quote, we're back to air quotes, natural, you know, you're not doing any great big favor there. And I think that's kind of one of the bigger challenges that comes with that. Yeah. And, and Ronella, you know, I love that you brought up essential oils because, you know, we, we did a, we did a podcast on essential oils and we, we kind of touched on that where, you know, essential oils are, are, they're, they're termed that because they were deemed to be essential for the, the nature of the, the plant in question. So it's an organic oil derived from different botanicals. So lemon oil or eucalyptus oil or tea tree oil, but they're quite concentrated. And as you mentioned, are extremely irritating, um, particularly to the skin and also, you know, um, mucous membranes. So people that diffuse them, it can be very dangerous, especially for young children and pets. It can be toxic to pets at low doses. And it can also aggravate all of those other, you know, um, asthma and things like that as well. So, you know, again, just because it's natural does not necessarily mean that it's better or safer or less irritating or um, gentler, I guess is the word. I think people also don't have this notion, you know, essential oils are incredibly complicated chemicals. They're, they're, they're complicated, yeah. you know, mixtures of chemicals. People have this idea it's like a single thing and it's not. They're, they're actually very yeah. complicated. And then, you know, I, I'm guessing we'll, we'll probably touch on this too. You know, if you're using, let's say, you know, nature to, to get something, there's a lot about that that's very flawed, right? Like if, for example, you wanted to get, um, let's go with like the essential oil of a rose, you know, mm. the, the amount of, of waste that you're using to get that product rather than creating it synthetically. I mean, it, it's just, it's wasteful. Um, you're, you're not getting the kind of quality control. I mean, there's just so many things about it that are not being optimized. And it's just very surprising how that just gets sort of a free pass in this space sometimes. That's something that for me in particular, um, you know, I, I feel very strongly about, you know, environmental conservation and things like that. And that's such a good point because, I think often this this concept of clean beauty gets conflated with being good for the environment as you and as you just alluded to if you're harvesting roses or sandalwood or things like that from nature to impart flavor or or, or fragrance or things like that I mean, you have this huge impact on the environment, right? You have waste, you have over-harvesting, you have aggressive farming practices. Whereas once you know the chemical composition of those substances, you can actually synthesize them relatively straightforwardly in a laboratory with quality control, I might add. I mean, I'm always wondering, what do people think that we pour on these plants? 
What do we think they're harvested? I mean, you're using gas to fuel the machinery to do the planting. You're talking about, you know, it, the environment is a fundamentally finite thing. Like at the end of the day, that's a really important thing to, you know, keep in mind. And even there, you know, sustainability, you know, not my expertise, but certainly as it as it dovetails into this space, it's really, again, this thing where it's defined kind of by how you who you pose the question to. And at the end of the day, you know, the single best thing you could do if you want to be an environmentally conscious consumer is buy less stuff. Like, I mean, use less stuff, buy less stuff. It's it's it, you know, if you're buying more stuff to achieve being more environmentally, you know, like, like, uh, that's right. not a good plan. So it's really a, a combination of things. It's a combination of finding materials that you can use that are renewable. It's a combination of using synthetics intelligently. But this idea that everything just kind of happens and is existing on the planet without, like, that it's just magically growing on a vine, right. you know, like in Hollywood movies. No, there's people out there working hard, expending energy, using water, using limited resources, to get, you know, what? And, you know, you need fuel, you need farming, you need machinery. These things don't exist in a vacuum. And like you say, with synthetics, where you can really take out the bad stuff and leave the good, it's just, it's very hard when something is reproducible. And now I think even more exciting, I mean, it's an area that we see more and more of in my space. It's an area I'm particularly, I'm particularly passionate about in an area where I'm actively involved in some of the work, but we're seeing this incredible move towards the use of novel ingredients, fermentation, um, certain kinds of bacteria, other things where we are taking products that are either currently considered waste or considered things that aren't, um, you know, of a finite nature that we can easily kind of make more of and adapt as things grow. And I think in fact, in the space of cosmetics and um, dermatology and skincare, that's where so much of this space is moving forward. I think a lot of that technology will ultimately make its way to food, to packaging, because a yeah. lot of it overlaps. So, I yeah. mean, it's just interesting to me that, you know, an industry which should get so much credit for moving things forward. I mean, I, I, some of it is, is proprietary. Some of it is, is in the research phases. I can't elaborate in great detail, but there are things going on where so much incredible innovation is happening and so much is going forward, both in terms of using technology, using, you know, artificial intelligence, using material science, using these various disciplines to improve the space. And it really is so much broader the just skincare. And yet this industry constantly is being beaten up on for stuff that's just this marketing nonsense. And it's really an awful thing because the truth is this space is doing a lot to move things forward. And it's just unfortunate that that really is such an easy sell for people to buy into because it sounds good. You know, create a villain, offer a solution. Boom. You just sold something. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
All right, Andrea, I think that we need to let our listeners know about our our new, uh, well, our our latest obsession, Olipop. And if you guys are not familiar with Olipop, you really have to check it out. It's this new kind of soda. And Andrea, I think we have the same three favorite flavors. Is that (laughs) right? I think we do, yeah. I'm actually drinking the um, classic grape, which I think is their newest flavor. And I'm obsessed with it. It's super nostalgic. And it reminds me of drinking grape soda when I was a little kid. But it's even better. (laughs) And it really tastes like Concord grape. Right. It's delicious. And my kids are always um, stealing it from me. So, yeah, grape. (laughs) I'm crazy for grape. The orange squeeze is delicious. And remember, it has five grams of sugar as compared to orange Fanta, which has 44 grams of sugar. And then we also love is it ginger, lemon or lemon ginger? I always Uh, (laughs) I think it's ginger lemon. Well, whatever it is, it is super good. The other thing, and I think my favorite thing about Olipop is the fact that it has nine grams of fiber for every can that you have. And so that's right off the bat, like almost a third of your recommended daily fiber intake for the day. And Mm -hmm. most people aren't getting enough fiber in their diet. So if you love soda and you need to get more fiber, check out Olipop. You can get 20% off plus free shipping on your order if you head to drinkolipop.com and use code unbiased at checkout. And that's D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P.com with the code unbiased. I want to just go back to one point. You know, I think the issue is, you know, this, you know, the skin in particular is visible to everyone. Everybody is very concerned about it. They're not necessarily thinking about all the other systems in their body, right? And they're and they're inundated with pictures of beautiful people, whether they're doctored or airbrushed or whatever. And and it's and it's this psychosocial kind of circle. But I love the point you made, and I have to use an anecdote really quickly before we get into more. But you said, you know, just buy less stuff if you want to be more environmentally conscious. And you know, I hate um, admitting this to a dermatologist. But um, my my partner, Josh, the other day was like, oh, in your shower, you don't have your body wash bottle is empty. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just let the shampoo run down my face when I'm in the shower. So I only need one product. And I was this like, this dermatologist is applauding. I mean, for <laughs> a lot of stuff, you can really do that. And, you know, it's it's Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Well, I mean, there are a lot of cosmetic, you know, who are now going to come with me to the GI doctor for the ulcer, (laughs) what you just said. So I'd like to say on behalf of all of my wonderful friends who are oversimplifying it, and the incredible professionals (laughs) that I work with who formulate, no, they're not all the same. There's a lot of nuance and difference. I think there is tremendous nuance and there is tremendous science behind the art of formulating um, and, you know, the chemistry of formulation for sure. I do think there is a very distinct line between that actual factual statement and the way things are marketed such that everyone seems to think they need mm-hmm. 87 products to achieve mm-hmm. any sort of positive outcome. There is an <laughs> absolute disconnect. So with no, in any way, lack of respect for the fact that formulation is a science and that one that, that has, I mean, it's, 
you really it's artistry when you go into the lab and you see someone formulating it is like watching you know the best chef in the world or the best baker in the world produce you know the world's best it is an artistry to watch you know and it's just something i enjoy working with these folks a lot it's just you know take that away from what it's so often conflated with, which is this idea that like, oh, in order to achieve good skin, you need to use 74 different products in order to, you know, here's this one for body and this one for face and this one for eye and this one. I'm for chuckling this. over here, Rodella, because I'm that sucker. Um, <laughs> Andrea knows like I'm that Can sucker I'm with I don't even know, over 100 products. And, you know, I, I do fall prey to to clever marketing and and anyway, just just to bring it back. Well, to be fair, that's what clever marketing is. I mean, it, it it's very clever. Exactly. It's yeah. achieving its goal, right? <laughs> it's clever for a reason. But, you know, I think a lot of people who subscribe to this idea of clean beauty, you know, I, I think we've all kind of alluded to this, you know, they're, some of them are, they're, they're trying to either do good by the environment or, you know, they, they, they are um, falling prey to, to very clever marketing. So I, I actually want to move on to this next um, topic if that's okay, because I hear this, this, this term all the time. When I hear clean, clean beauty products, I associate that with this idea of preservative free. Um, so I'd love to talk about that because I know, you know, and I, I'm not a, a microbiologist or a chemist, but just, um, I, because I just, you know, I'm thinking of any product that has water in it. If there aren't preservatives, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, mold, bacteria, microbial growth. And I know there are a ton of other issues. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, the way I always say it is, is, you know, we have a word for preservative free, (laughs) perishable. (laughs) Everyone gets that when you go to the grocery store, everyone understands that if you buy, you know, bread and fruit, that you have a very finite amount of time. Oh, the, the old missing the mold in bread, you know, nugget. But, you know, everyone understands that right. when it comes to food. And yet for some reason, that is maybe a testimonial to just how safe cosmetics are. No one has really given it thought that these products can live, many of them, safely on a shelf for a couple of years. I mean, your bread can't do that. So it's just very interesting to me that people have made this, again, some demonized thing. You know, mold is not good. Bacteria is not good. Bad things have happened. You know, there was a a, a bad outbreak of eye disease. uh, Diseases just in general. Let's, Let's, you know, get a top line notion here. Disease is not good. So if there are things that we can do that avert disease, do them. Be anti-disease. Take the con lobby, you know? Brunella, can you talk a little about some of the preservatives that get more flack than others, you know, and I don't know, just kind of walk us through why they've gotten, you know, heat and, and, you know, what's real. Absolutely. And I, I would also direct people because a brilliant article was just out very recently in the Washington Post. Uh, Jenna Mandel, who's a fantastic writer, just did a really great deep dive into parabens and why they, which historically okay. have such a safety track record. I mean, they've just been around for a really long time. They've done a great job. Um, and anything where, I mean, 
it, it, it really depends, right? Like I have a company where we're making stuff new every month. It's a little bit different. But if you're talking about something where you have a product that requires shelf life, where you want something to sit yeah. in a warehouse and then be on a shelf for six months, eight months, two years, you must have it be preserved. Otherwise, you are absolutely looking at mold and bacteria and stuff like that. And what happened was the thing that a lot of these folks hang their hats on, and the reason I mentioned Jana's article is because there was this paper that came out and it got a tremendous amount of press, 2004. And it was a study. I don't even want to call it a study because it's been debunked by a thousand people, interestingly enough, also by the author. Um, but this idea that in theory, parabens can mimic estrogen hormone. And this terrified people, this idea that, oh, my God, and it was going to cause it. And it was, you know, there were, you know, they, they studied um, uh, this breast cancer tissue before and they looked at them and they the, the study has been immensely shown to not lead to the conclusion that people took from it and people have sort of perverted it to mean. Ironically, the author of the study, Dr. Darber, she herself posted in a response that nobody read right right around the same time that nowhere did anyone suggest there were the presence of parabens in breast cancer. Everybody, the American Cancer Society, everyone has debunked this idea that it is not a true statement, this idea that parabens are in fact this horrible thing. They were introduced, I think now, I want to say like the 1920s. I mean, they've literally been around 100 years. So as something for a preservative used for, you know, things in pharma, for food products, for personal care, for all of that, as a broad antimicrobial, something that's inexpensive with a low risk of allergy, they've really just been around for a long time. They've actually been, frankly, tested out in the field, you know, because they've just been around so long. And as they've replaced it with other things, what we've increasingly seen are the other things neither do a good job by comparison of preservative or, and importantly, we're seeing increasingly massive amounts of allergy to the things they're using to replace that are not as well tested and not as affected. And so at the end of the day, you know, it was really interesting and I'll, and I'll finish because it's, it's such a good quote from her article, this idea, cause she went back now. So everyone talks about this Darby study all the time. It gets all this attention because so much of this clean beauty space is predicated on this, this evil, terrible thing that is the parabens. And what's so fascinating is she went and interviewed her now. She interviewed her now in 2021, 2022, and she said it's absolutely silly to kind of come to this conclusion. She said it more elegantly because, you know, I'm just me. But she was making the point that it was silly to demonize a single thing like parabens. The the idea of it, it would be absolutely wonderful. I mean, I want to paraphrase her because I, I mean, her quote was something like, it would just be so great if a single chemical could be ID'd as the sole problem of everything. And it's a really great marketing effort you can base it on. But the problem is you're swapping it for something that's studied less that doesn't have a track record, that causes allergy. It's just not the case. It's some combination of different things, which hasn't even been fully necessarily elucidated yet. But this idea that there's one demon to go after 
it just becomes very, very convenient as a, as a, you know, scapegoat for things. And, you know, the worst part of it too is when you come to something where you encounter something that you, you admittedly find out as a fiction. And I'll give you my own anecdote. Um, so you alluded to the fact I do debunk on, um, on Instagram. And I, not that long ago, did a thing because somebody had sent me, usually what I debunk is stuff people send me. Someone sent me something where this fella had gone on about how acne that, so I mean, it had a whole, oh, there's a whole construct. Your, your toxins were being, you know, managed by your gut. If your gut wasn't working properly, the toxins had to get out somehow because they were trapped. And acne was how they managed to make their way out. Now, I'm, I'm aside from the stupidity of this entire statement, which is completely false, what really irritated me is I made it pointed. I corrected it. Lots of people asked me questions. I was very happy to engage in the conversation. The fellow who wrote it, as is sort of par for this course, I think it is a badge of honor. I'm sure you two ladies have been blocked by lots of shysters. I take it with great pride. But not only did he block it, he took it down 30 seconds later. If you believe it, guy, stand by it. That's what kills yeah. me here. So my parallel, the reason I tell that story is because, you know, you talked about the size of this industry. I don't think people fully understand how much money we're talking about. That drunk elephants sold for $845 million. And the drunk elephant lady, we won't name her, but everyone can very quickly check who I'm talking about. This woman started a lot of this with her, you know, her hatred and parabens are the worst and they're horrible and the suspicious this and everything and it's non-toxic and yada, yada. Meanwhile, after the sale, I want to be real clear that this quote is from after the sale. You know, I'm now speaking as this particular person. Turns out parabens really aren't, they were never really so bad. The most ridiculous part is that parabens are used almost ubiquitously, you know, as you mentioned in, in all sorts of skincare Pharma, products. Pharma, food. In, in, it's, it's not yeah, just in, skincare. In food, food preservatives, in medications, in, in all sorts of toothpaste, makeup, um, you know, cleaning products. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And so if you, if you want to say that you want to avoid parabens or you want to avoid preservatives, then, then you have to eliminate pretty much everything that you encounter that that's preservatives because as you mentioned it's very effective it has wide activity against a broad array of bacteria and fungal contaminants and so use a single you know preservative that we ha that as you mentioned has a track record of it as opposed to having to use you know eight different potential preservatives all in combination to have the same effect that are not as studied and we also know that parabens have among the absolute lowest rate of allergic reactions mm -hmm. it's depending on what you read between like 0 0.5% 1.4 1.5% which is i mean the 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 joke in Very dermatology low. american contact derm society named it the 2019 non allergen of the year in other words they typically <laughs> every year name an allergen that's the one that's like the most allergenic this is a non-allergen Sovi bill. And then the other thing, which we, it's, it's worth noting, we were saying it was, you know, they were introduced a hundred years ago. Say what you want about anything. It's been in use for not even decades, for, for nearly a century. That is road testing a product. If ever there was any, this has literally been in use around the world for all the things you just mentioned for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade. That is field testing. 
I mean, if there were these secret magic allergies or secret, you know, it's just silly. This idea that it it comes back to, again, killing your customer. I have a question for you that I'm sure many of our listeners will have. And I I hope it's not opening up a can of worms, Ranella. But, you know, a lot a lot of the. Well, you know, (laughs) if we have preservatives, so a a lot of the big major beauty companies that many of us uh, have likely heard of, you know, they have these these lists of ingredients that you you have to avoid in parabens, which we've just talked about, or on on most, if not all, of those lists. Would you say, you know, are there any ingredients that should be on, you know, that we should be avoiding? Does anything fall in that category? I mean, I think there's a couple things. You should avoid the ones you're allergic to, I think is is sort of the the key measure. But it's a real problem, right? Like, uh, let's put it this way. My little son goes to preschool and he doesn't bring peanut butter to school because there's a kid who's allergic. Doesn't mean my son can't come home and eat peanut butter. You don't take something out because some people, and I would add a small, small, small percentage of people are allergic to it. You know, do we all stop eating pad thai because some people are allergic to soy? No. You should use what is good for you to use. There is no list automatically that everyone would avoid. Yes, there are certain times where there are exceptions to that. If you are a pregnant person, we have clearly established you probably should not use vitamin A. That's a pretty good standard. Don't do that. If you are someone who is undergoing chemotherapy, a lot of times they'll tell you stick to fragrance-free products, not because of anything particularly terrible, but because it tends to be something that in people who are a little bit, you know, um, uh, what's the word I want to use, you know, who are being challenged. Immunosuppressed. Yeah, immunosuppressed. Well, even I don't, because I don't want to imply it's an immune thing as so much as just it's, you know, irritation. It's more irritation than an immune reaction, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think those are just kind of good practices, but as a standard need, no, there is no such thing. If you don't calculate for, you know, we were saying formula, how it's used, how it's administered, and of course, the dose. You know, peaches have formaldehyde in them. Do we not eat a peach? I I mean, again, this whole idea is so problematic because anything at all can be a hazard. I mean, and that's fundamentally the flaw of a lot of these things that they're demonizing. You're demonizing an ingredient and you're not even calculating, for example, how that ingredient is formulated. What else was put with? So if something, let's just say, is known to be an irritant, but then you formulate it, this is what I'm getting out of the artistry of formulation, you can absolutely make something that's totally irritating totally not irritating. It's about the company it keeps in a formula, you know? So it really matters what else you you put it with, right? Like you can use, and so, I, I mean, the example, the Rinellaism I always use for patients to understand this is honey, right? You can use honey if you think of certain kinds of foods in, you know, um, Asian cuisine and others where, you know, it's used as a savory, But then you can also think of honey very much as a dessert food. It's all about, it's the same product. It's just what you put it with and how much of it you use. I was just going to say that really underscores some of the advantages of being able to synthesize these things, right? You can turn something that could be an irritant into something benign using formulation chemistry. A thousand percent. And I mean, chemistry represents such an advance to society and to these industries I mean, these are industries that couldn't have existed before preservatives, you know? And so I think this idea of using it 
as a marketing tool. And all of the stuff that goes with that is just terribly insidious and doing a real disservice. And again, when it comes back to the idea, you know, the originator, the originator of the suspicious six, yeah, they're really not so bad. Yeah, they're really, you know, it turns out they were never so bad all along. I mean, stand your ground, lady. You know, if you if you really are so frightened, if it's if it's causing your baby to have four heads, you know, stand with that, show it, prove it. But you can't. So you move the needle somewhere else. And, you know, the, the, the proof of how fake it is, I will tell you, is the mere fact that you can have a company make up their own list and then a retailer has a list and says, OK, you're on our shelf. So now they change their list. So now you're not on our shelf. I, I mean, so so how does something go from being clean to being dirty in 32 seconds because it's not a defined meaning. Exactly. And it, and of course, a lot of that retailer's decision is based on the demand in that particular location at that particular storefront, which is, of course, based in a lot of this psychosocial marketing, you know, hullabaloo, I guess, for a better word. I think it's also worth thinking about the fact that, you know, skin doesn't have, you know, a moral compass you know, skin isn't good or bad. Skin care isn't good or bad. It, you know, and, and when you make it almost like a, almost like a morality judgment, like there's good and there's bad and there's, you know, this whole idea that you're creating something that it, it's just nonsense. And again, it always comes back to the first thing people come to me, they say, well, you know, if you're not there, how do you debunk something? How do you do? So my, my first thing always comes back to is somebody profiting off of this? Is someone giving you information for a reason? Is there a reason you're being told this story? And if there is, you know, stop for a minute and think about why, because that's really a significant thing that, you know, is there a purpose as to why someone is kind of trying to convince you that this is important, that this is really what it is. Skincare is not something, as we say, with morality. It's not good versus evil. It's not clean versus dirty. You know, you, you throw this kind of moral judgment into it, and all of a sudden, you're not talking about the fundamental principle a priori to everything else, which is safety. You cannot put a product that is unsafe. It, it just doesn't exist. You have to put it all into a much bigger picture. When you're talking about things, it's not only the marketing. It's about safety. It's about the fact that everything is a chemical. You have to consider, is it environmentally responsible? Is it attainable? Is it usable? I mean, people love it. The, the latest hated ingredient, which makes utterly no sense, is petrolatum, aka Vaseline, the most boring ingredient of all time. I mean, dermatologists love it because- As a runner, it's one of my favorite ingredients, every, I have every, to say. Every, every new parent is told, go get Vaseline. In my house, you go through tubes of aquaphor, buy the thousand tubes of this stuff because you got tushies, you got eczema, you got faces with the chapped wind, everything. It's all, you know, it's all in the same mix. And it's like, so it's so insidious. You'll hear someone ask a question and they'll say, oh, well, you know, they use petroleum. No, don't be cute. It's not petrol. It's petrolatum. It's quite different. It's regulated as a drug here in the States. This is a skin protectant. This is triple refined. This is cleaner than almost anything else you could buy on a shelf. Again, I come back to the fact that there's nothing in it. It is an inert, boring substance. And this idea, again, that 
you know, that that is just they, they plant these things that have no basis, but you just get these little hints and these little things. And if you stand back, and I always say this to people because I get these things in debunk constantly, you know, how do you be a smart person? So there are certain things you should do, you know, is there someone that the number one for me, the number one red flag, if someone is giving you a construct and they are giving you something to be afraid of or a problem to solve, and they conveniently enough, Lincoln Bio, happen to be the one able to sell you the solution, Lincoln Bio, you know, that to me is the red flag wave in a plenty. If only their diet plan, if only their shake, if only their cream, if whatever it is, that to me is red flag number one New York, that if you see that I'm not saying you have to absolutely reject it out of hand, but you should put on a cap of like, hmm, I'm being sold something. Let me be curious. Let me approach this piece of data like I might into an environment where I go in knowing that I'm a little skeptical. The way, let's put it this way. Everybody knows you walked into, you know, the old joke, and I don't mean anything disparaging about used car salespeople. They're lovely, wonderful people making an honest living. But we all kind of have that same notion that you want to go into a used car, like that your, your, your guardrails are up a little bit because you know that's kind of you, – you don't want to get taken advantage of. You want to kind of be a little bit smarter about it. I'm not saying you don't go and buy a used car. This is a new Renaultism I'm making up on the spot. But it's the same idea. I'm not saying everything they're saying is automatically wrong. I'm saying approach what they're saying with a healthy amount of skepticism. And then go a little deeper. Is it going completely against all of proven science? When someone is telling you this demonic thing is toxic and it makes no sense, you know, don't just assume that that's true. I think it's one of the things I have to say. So I have a very nice life and career and only came onto social media relatively recently with the pandemic. And, you know, and the pandemic was an, a unique time in, in, in our, in, in, I think what will later be world history, you know, where the whole world is panicking together and it's stressful. And I think there was a unique kind of confluence of things, but it's just very interesting to me how, Something I've learned about social media in my limited time here is how there is just no vetting that you, you just can say whatever you want to say. And there's just, there's no like criteria. If you go to a medical meeting and you're giving a presentation, you will be challenged. You will be asked questions. You will be expected to present your data and your credentials. You cannot say anything. Whereas on social media, and it's even a challenge, not even just with the presentation of false data by people of questionable ability to make those claims. It's also the fact that even when you present something factual, you can then be questioned by people who don't even necessarily have the knowledge to know what they're questioning. I try to be very careful when I'm asked questions because so often what I find is that if you answer a question, you, 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 I'll give you an example of this. Like I'll get asked, well, which of these two products is less toxic? And if I answer the question, I've somehow suggested that I agree with the concept that either of them are toxic. It, it's a concept lawyers know intimately well because attorneys know this all the time that you always are very careful to defend, you know, when you're presenting a defense, you know, you want to be very careful that you never present in answering a question, something that agrees to something that isn't, you know, did you kill your wife on Tuesday? No, I was home on Tuesday. Well, wait a minute. You just agreed that you killed your wife. 
You, you know what I'm saying? So you, you have to be really careful. And that's something I'm always just so struck by with, with social media and the rapidity by which things just become fact. And so I think it's really important for people to empower themselves. And I'm not saying you have to be expert on all things. I'm certainly not. But I think what you want to know is why is someone saying this thing, particularly this thing that just really doesn't match everything else? Um, I mean, there's another wonderful, wonderful account. Abby SR, I think, is her handle. And she talks a lot about, like, conspiracy things and stuff like that. Forgive me if I'm getting her name. It's this wonderful, wonderful young woman. And it's so interesting because of how this goes so much bigger than just clean beauty. You know, it starts with clean beauty, but it becomes this much bigger question of, of like questioning, you know, what about pharma? What about the government? What about all these different things tie into the same narrative of just not having faith in sort of bedrock principles, you know, and it's a scary time when that's the case. You have touched on so many things that Andrea and I have, um, have said, you know, over and over again about the double-edged sword that is d- social media and how that has impacted the pandemic, but also things like, you know, these industries and the, clean, I'm using air quotes again, you know, clean beauty industry and how social media gives people this, you know, false sense of authority and a, and a platform to say whatever they want. But at the same time, it's also given a platform to real experts like you, Renella, uh, you know, and, and so, so it really is a, a double-edged sword. And just one final thing, I, one parallel I wanted to make um, to, you know, people creating this construct, creating this the, a problem and then offering a solution is, you know, we've talked so much about um, with regard to vaccines, how there are so many people who are outspoken against vaccines. And then wouldn't you know it, by coincidence, they're offering some treatment, <laughs> you know, for COVID or for whatever other disease it is. Yeah. So I, I would respectfully respond to that a little bit differently, which is something I I agree 100 percent about the part where like you have definitely people looking for profit. But here's the thing I find even more compelling. You know, they talked in the news about how a certain governor was like screaming at people standing at him and, you know, you're wearing masks and it's theater and stuff and all these different things about, you know, some of the, you know, different folks who are like, you should stop doing masks. You should stop with vaccinating. What's really interesting to me is they're all vaccinated. They were the first ones in line. Oh, 100 percent. The people who screamed loudest about politicizing (laughs) it were the first ones who lined up to get vaccinated. So it's just really interesting to me that while it was used and it's just to me so evil to use something that is, you know, to, to politicize something that is a health and a safety issue and innocent people died caught up in this. I mean, it's, it's a whole other, you know, I hope they meet their maker enough to defend someday because it is such a criminal and terrible thing. But I just find that to be the most amazing thing that all these folks who were so fast, I mean, a certain, I, I, you know what? I don't care. He's not going to sue me. Governor Abbott. I mean, I find this absolutely fascinating. He was the fellow who got, you know, he got his, his, I don't know his medical history, but he, I mean, he, he, um, had been fully vaccinated, got a mild case of COVID and immediately got antibodies, got every possible treatment there was while telling people don't get vaccinated. Don't worry about it. Vaccines should be out. And it's just, you know, 
at least disclose. Say, look, I've looked at the data. I th- I do believe that you can't, you know, I think you, you you people should make intelligent decisions, but I think people should make intelligent decisions with real data. And if someone is telling you all this stuff and then there should be a little footnote there that says, oh, by the way, I got vaccinated the very first day it was available. And I myself take advantage of all medical science has to offer. You should choose. I happen to make that choice. I just feel like a lot of these folks should be obligated to disclose themselves. Totally agree. Ranella, I think we could talk about this and uh, many other topics, probably for several hours. But my ulcer, Um, I have to go see the GI doctor immediately. (laughs) We just, we want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, This is such an important topic. um, And I'm sure that people have learned a lot from from you uh, over the course of the the past hour. So really, thank you so much for imparting your, your wisdom and expertise. We really appreciate it. Loved being here. Thank you for having me. Before we wrap up, I want to once again thank Dr. Ranella Hirsch at Ranella MD on Instagram for joining us to lead this discussion about clean beauty, the term, the fact that it is an amorphous term that really has no meaning, um, that a lot of the myths that circulate around this, this marketing phrase, this buzzword, um, are not, not founded on science that, you know, there's no such thing as chemical-free. There's really no such thing as toxin-free. Natural is not inherently better than synthetic. Um, you know, using synthetic products has has enabled us to advance science and reduce things like allergenicity. And preservatives are actually a good thing. Um, we also very briefly touched upon the fact that deriving products from nature can sometimes have a worse environmental impact than being able to synthesize those in the lab. So, Thank you so, so much, Dr. Hirsch. We could talk with you for hours and hours and hours. Um, And maybe we will bring you back on for another dermatology-related topic. But thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hoped you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We also want to give a special thanks to our patrons who help support the pod and make this all possible. If you want to help us out, too, check out www.patreon.com slash unbiasedscience. We have three tiers of membership to choose from, which all come with a variety of different perks. We will be giving shout outs to some of our mad scientists each episode. So today we want to give a special thanks to Michelle Brydenbaker, Morgan Cavalli, Joanna Sataloff, Rick Nash, and Liz Tips. Next episode, we are tackling another popular request, and this is going to be focused on vaginal health and myths and misconceptions. We will, of course, continue to provide updates on COVID-19 on our social media pages, so be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a sci-